Hello, and welcome to the Best Ever or Guilty Pleasure podcast. My name is Jarrett, and I love movies. This time, we are watching a movie that is pretty controversial. It's a movie that is polarizing, to say the least. Today, we will be watching the highest-grossing film of 1999, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Oh boy, here we go. Released in 1999, this movie was hype personified. A follow-up to 1983's Return of the Jedi, this movie was the beginning of what's to be called the prequel trilogy. The original trilogy was clearly iconic, and George Lucas decided to return to the story after a decade hiatus. George Lucas spent time creating the backstories in the 90s and decided to make the prequel trilogy after he believed that CGI has advanced enough to properly tell his story. Look, I know what you're thinking. Why this one? Why not the original movie? Why not any of the original movies? The short answer, that's not as fun. The long answer, this movie, as bad as it is, with all the problems that it has, was, let's face it, a cultural reset. This movie was important, even with all the bad. It has also been one that I haven't seen in a while. Since this movie... Eight movies have been released, two completing the prequel trilogy, three completing the sequel trilogy, and three spin-off movies. Lots of TV shows TV shows were released as well. The Clone Wars animated series, the Rebels animated series, The Mandalorian, The Book of Boba Fett, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Andor, and several other ones. There's lots of video games, books, and even Disney Parks attractions have been released. Uh, Let's not forget the massive toy industry surrounding this franchise. Yes, the original trilogy had a lot of that as well, uh, but you can't deny the Star Wars deluge that began with this movie. So let's talk about the numbers. Let me back this up. I mentioned previously that this movie was the highest grossing movie of 1999. It earned $64 million at the box office for the opening weekend, becoming only the second movie in the entire uh, history to do that. It would cross $1 billion in 2012 after its re-release in 3D, becoming the first Star Wars movie to do, do so and the 11th movie in history to do that. It currently sits at a 51% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 59% audience score. Despite all the bad press, that score is actually pretty respectable. This movie was hyped to no end. I remember this being uh, the first time that I was introduced to people buying tickets well in advance to the movie. People stood in lines to buy tickets. I didn't see it opening weekend because it was just too packed. People were excited to see this after a 15-year hiatus. Star Wars, Star Wars was huge, and Return of the Jedi was an excellent movie, so the expectation of this movie was really high. People were excited to get the story that led up to the original movies. The idea of prequels was super enticing. Uh, people actually bought tickets to movies uh, just to see the, the previews. They would literally pay full price, go into the movie, see the preview, and then leave. In 1999, movies were big business. Going to the movies was so much fun. I remember doing it all the time with my friends. It was also a lot cheaper back then. As I grew older, I went less and less because the cost went higher and higher and I had more things to do. Uh, Once COVID hit, movies in the theaters just became less important. 
When I look back on my childhood watching movies, I think about movies in theaters with my friends fondly. Seeing Phantom Menace in theaters was an experience that I will never forget. Pod racing, Darth Maul, and yes, Natalie Portman. It was all really fun and really good to see on the big screen. Yes, there are a lot of negatives to this movie. Uh, People hated the fact that it was filmed entirely on a green screen, and it showed. The effects were cool, but it seemed uh, empty. The original movies were big on practical effects, and the quality of that showed. I remember seeing the famous Death Star scene where Luke swoops in to the the channel on the Death Star and was attacked by enemies, enemy uh, ships, and was filmed that that was filmed entirely with miniatures and pyrotechnics. It was it was so cool to see the actual movie and then also see how they did that. This one has people standing around on an empty set acting to nothing. A lot of the actors actually hated that part. Then there was the biggest offense of all, Jar Jar. I never saw the reason really behind all the hate, but fans hated, hated with a capital H, Jar Jar. So much so that the actor actually got death threats. It's crazy. No one really deserves that. Jar Jar was the beginning of the Star Wars franchise, putting characters into a movie just to sell toys. I'm looking at you, BB-8 and Porgs. It was newish to the franchise back then, uh, and his character just happened to be in the crosshairs. I love all the memes of him actually becoming a Sith, though. I think that would be hilarious if that ever comes to fruition. It won't, but it'd be pretty cool. We'll talk more about that after we watch the movie. I'm actually excited to watch this again. Uh, the bad press has stopped me from watching again after so long. I just always think of this movie as being terrible. I feel like the nostalgia behind this movie allowed me to kind of overlook the bad stuff. Uh, when I was watching it, it just seemed so cool at the time. So is it strong enough? Is that nostalgia strong enough to allow me to kind of like it now? Let's see. So next I will watch the movie and I'll take notes on what I see. I will then come back and talk about it. I will be seeing if this movie is really the best ever or just a guilty pleasure. Spoiler alert for this movie. uh, I'll also probably talk about the other movies um, mainly in the prequel trilogy because the Star Wars franchise is so big that I actually may watch one of the other movies down the line, so I won't spoil them all. All right, here we go. And we're back. I have some mixed emotions about this. I feel like I remember this movie being way better when I first watched it in 1999. It's not bad per se, but uh, I just I just remember it differently. So let's let's talk about it. First things first, let's talk about the elephant in the room, Jar Jar. I remember him, like I said earlier, getting a lot of hate when this movie came out. And I mentioned at the top that it got so bad that the actor received death threats. While I absolutely do not condone that at all, Jar Jar is bad. I must have had rose-colored glasses on when I watched it as a child because I, I don't remember it being that bad, but wow. The only thing that he does that really helps anyone is tell Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan about his Gungan city and lead them to that. That's it. 
Yes, he actually accidentally does things during the battle at the end, but come on. His his character model sticks out, especially when they're on Tatooine, and his voice or accent is annoying, to say the least. I get that George Lucas really leaned into the world building in this movie, more on that later, but he should have done a bit more testing with Jar Jar. Now that that's out of the way, let's talk about some of the better things. Firstly, this movie feels like a Star Wars movie. The new lore that was created around this movie is amazing. George Lucas painted a broad picture with the first three movies, but now he created an opportunity to sort of fill in the gaps. With this movie being his first movie in 15 years, there was a lot to put in. We learn about the Jedi, which seems uh, to be alive and well since they are all extinct in the original trilogy. We learn about the Sith, who apparently have been extinct for millennia, which isn't true, but more on that later. We learn about Jedi Prophecy, which is centered around this boy named Anakin, who is supposed to bring balance to the Force. Wasn't explicitly said, but heavily hinted at, that Anakin would become Darth Vader, one of the most deadly Sith Lords to ever exist. There's a cool poster of young Anakin on Tatooine uh, with his shadow as Darth Vader. It's really cool. We also learn some not-so-cool things. First, this movie is extremely political. Yes, there are politics in the original trilogy, but this movie featured an actual Senate hearing and begins on a trade federation ship that is receiving a delegation for negotiations. Snore. The, The initial crawl is all about this overstep of the trade federation. We also learn what the Force is. Midichlorians. Allow me to step on my soapbox for a bit. In the original trilogy, the Force was a mysterious thing that only certain people could use. Its use manifested itself in many different ways. Mind tricks, pushing and pulling, even lightning. It was cool, and most importantly, mysterious. In this movie, it was revealed that the Force is a measure by the number of midichlorians in your blood. Literal living organisms in your blood determine how force adept you are. They even put a number on it. Anakin has over 20,000, which is apparently more than even Yoda himself. The mystery of the force, I feel, was weakened. It, It no longer was something inexplicable and wondrous. It is now something that can be quantified by a blood sample, apparently. Honestly, I felt like it was kind of ridiculous, but... It happens, it's part of the lore, and we all have to live with it. Okay, back to reality. Let's talk about the effects in the movie. movie. There was a lot of frustration about how this movie was filmed. It was mostly green screen. In previous movies, practical effects were prevalent. Now, George Lucas decided that computer imagery had caught up with his vision, and he was able to tell the story in that way. For this movie, uh, the sets were only built up to the height of the actors, and everything else was colored in by the computers. Side note, because apparently uh, Liam Neeson was so tall, his sets were, he, they had to build the sets a bit taller, costing the production an extra $150,000. Anyway, uh, out of the whole two-hour runtime, only 10 to 15 minutes have no visual effects whatsoever. I understand the backlash from fans who liked the old-school way of doing things. Some directors now still abhor visual effects and try to do practical for everything, like 
Christopher Nolan. Despite the negativity, the movie pushed the limits of time, of the time. Jar Jar, as annoying as he was, served as one of the first fully digital characters in a movie. Also, there are two shots filmed on a whopping 1080p HD digital Sony camera rather than on film. That was kind of unheard of at that time. One of the first commercially viable digital cameras, the Red One, wouldn't come out until 2007. I watched the movie on Disney+, and there has been a lot of updates to the movie since the beginning that have been added into that version. I remember Yoda still being a puppet whenever I saw it in theaters, but Lucas updated the effects to have Yoda be all digital. Fans were upset when uh, Return of the Jedi, uh, in Return of the Jedi, Anakin's Force Ghost, who is played by a much older Sebastian Shaw, um, replaced uh, by Hayden Christensen. It makes sense to update the actual actor who played Anakin, but people still got upset. Don't get me started on who shot first. This movie definitely benefits from hindsight. I remember watching this movie when I was younger and thinking it was so cool, but it became cooler after the other prequel movies came out. The The more the lore grew, the more this movie made sense. The humble origin of Anakin, the return of the Sith, Obi-Wan Kenobi, it all starts in this movie. Speaking about the first two, uh, Anakin and the Sith, uh, there are all, there is a lot that has happened after this movie to kind of inform what was going on there. First, I never really thought about how Anakin was the fulfillment of a prophecy. I was also shocked to hear that he was, quote, born of the Force, unquote. I never really thought about Anakin's father, or in this case, lack of. I was also too busy being upset about the existence of midichlorians to catch that Anakin's midichlorian count is the highest that they've ever seen. I, I know it's mentioned and in plain sight during this movie, but I guess I just kind of overlooked it whenever I saw it originally, uh, and I'm probably the only one that did. Anakin's path to being Darth Vader also makes more sense now that I've seen the other movies. Yes, that is the point of Episodes 2 and 3, but this movie really does set it up. The Jedi Council had no idea that the Sith were back until when? After they found out about Anakin. They were also pretty dismissive, which is not a great look for them in Anakin's eyes. He becomes pretty whiny about his treatment in subsequent movies, but his complaints are valid. Senator Palpatine is warm and inviting to Anakin, which presents a much more enticing invitation. Vader struggles with his place as a father to Luke and Leia after not having a father figure other than Obi-Wan. Vader's eventual betrayal of Darth Sidious stems all the way back to this movie. Anakin, a child slave who also learns he has great power, only to be told he can't really do what he wants to do. A classic nature versus nurture story. Again, hindsight really makes this movie more interesting. There has been a lot of Star Wars media since this movie came out. Uh, George Lucas wrote and directed episodes 2 and 3, but then stepped out, uh, stepped away in 2012 whenever he sold Lucasfilm and therefore Star Wars to Disney for $4.05 billion. He was also involved in small ways in the sequel trilogy as well as some of the story movies, but for the most part, episodes 1 through 6 is George Lucas's version.
vision. I would say that if you love Star Wars, it's okay to not like The Phantom Menace, but you have to appreciate it for what it did for the franchise. George Lucas dabbled in non-linear storytelling by going back in time to tell the origins of arguably the biggest and coolest villain in cinema history. Although I'd argue Darth Maul is marginally cooler with his double-bladed lightsaber, parkour-style fighting style, and epic, epic musical score. Yes, this movie has its kinks, like Jar Jar and the reliance on CGI, but this movie is an important piece in Star Wars history. Uh, There actually exists a fan edit of this movie called The Phantom Edit that took the movie and cut out most of Jar Jar, trimmed the political scenes, moved some things around to make it feel like the original trilogy, and and a lot more. It cut the movie down to 119 minutes, but argued that it was a more coherent story. Lucasfilm actually condoned the edit and allowed it to be produced and distributed. Thanks for listening to this episode of Best Ever or Guilty Pleasure. Please rate and subscribe wherever you get podcasts because it really helps the podcast get heard. Until next time, watch more movies.